If you have your Bibles or your electronic Bibles, it's going to be from the book of Genesis. All the way back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did you really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust. All the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between you, your offspring, and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike at his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I command you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, bless our pastor as he brings the word for us that you have to speak to our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, church family, we can dismiss our kids, if not already. I know Miss Kendall is right over here, and she will um, be with the elementary and the preschool age children, if there are any, and uh, she has a lesson prepared for them. All right. Thank you, church. Well, oh, our teens will also now be dismissed to the back with me. I was going to say, thank you, you. got to take them teens with you, right? <laughs> Do I have to? No. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, worship team. Great job as usual, as always. Thank you so much. Well, we are finishing up tonight, uh, today on our uh, Stronger Teaching Series, as we've mentioned a couple of times, and uh, just want to begin 
in this place that we have shared with you plenty of times before. T.D. Jakes said one time, he said, isolation is the beginning of destruction. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you and I hear ourselves saying some words like nobody cares about me or nobody loves me or nobody is concerned about the things that I'm dealing with, T.D. Jakes is warning you. He's telling you that according to the scriptures, in many ways, as you look at the things that have happened, it is the pathway towards destruction whenever isolation seeps in. And I'm going to be honest with you. It probably is a whole lot easier uh, in a lot of other times for uh, us to not really have to worry about being isolated. But the truth is, is that in our world right now, we've been told that we need to stay isolated. We understand this. We know that it's temporary. But the problem is, is that we can allow that to become something that we embrace rather than reject. And the truth is, is that you need me and I need you. And that all of us in God's family are meant to be a part of God's family together. And so I want to just share with you some of the things that we've been talking about. I want to put up the screen where Michael Todd's relationship book called Relationship Goals is on. And uh, I'll just tell you, it's really highly rated with a lot of ratings. That's the, I'm sure it's not the latest, but it's where we kind of began. It's available on Amazon Prime, on Audible. If you're a, an Audible user like I am, uh, it, you can also get it as an ebook from Fort Bend County Library. And you may be saying, well, that's not really for me. I mean, I don't necessarily need some of that help in my, uh, in my spousal relationship because I don't have a spouse, right? Okay, well, that's fine. There's tons of relationship advice that are all about singles, friendships, uh, dating relationships, as well as spousal relationships. Tons of things in there. They even talks a little bit about sex in there. So you can go ahead and look at that if you're interested from God's perspective. He shares about sex, and it is a blessing because it is so truthful and so applicable to our lives. So wherever you are in any relationship that you have, I encourage you, grab this book. It's a really good one, and you can listen to that. I believe he may even have a TED Talk, if I'm not mistaken. So go back and try try to grab that. But I've tried to grab some of the best quotes from the book and share those with you. And this is one that I want to share because it is kind of the overarching theme. This next slide here reminds us of this. It's important to see how our relationship with God comes first and above all other relationships. It's our ultimate relationship and all blessings flow out of that relationship. In other words, in the, New, or in the Old Testament, when he speaks about the first 10 commandments that he gives... The first four are all about our vertical relationship, and then the next six are about the horizontal. I don't believe that it is accidental that he basically tells us, get this relationship between man and God right, and then all the other things flow out from there. In fact, one of those blessings is is that God enables us to do our other relationships at their highest possible level. When we put God first, he blesses the rest. Can I get an amen on that? Isn't that true? When you put God at the center of your relationships, he begins to bless and strengthen it in ways that you and I can just never do on our own. But I'm going to tell you something. There's so many false things out there to tell you what the world thinks, you know, doing relationships is all about. I'm about to make some of you feel really, really old. Do any of you guys remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Do any of you? Come on now. Audience participation. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm not even asking you to admit to have seen it. Okay. That's fine. You don't have to do anything. Y'all are like, what am I telling the pastor? I don't know. All right. Just don't worry about it. Here's the deal. If you remember it, you remember, I love you. You complete me. Now, dudes, I won't ask you how many of you have tried to use that on your wife. I'm just going to say it sounded better coming out of Tom Cruise's mouth than it did out of mine. There was no backtrack on the bottom that just like the strings that just swelled. And I told Shelly, I complete, you complete me. And she's like, I don't even understand what you're saying. What do you mean? Is there something, you know, it was just, it didn't go well. But I'm about to make you feel old. That was back in 1996. That is 25 years ago. I literally just watched it three weeks ago for the first. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, seriously, 25 years we have been in this mindset of you complete me. And I'm here to tell you something. All right. I've got some of you in the house that aren't yet married. I'm here to tell you there are some things that make for really good TV and really good rom-coms 
that are really bad advice and really bad theology. It is true. Can I get an amen from the married folks in the house? I mean, sometimes they will sell you something and it looks so good on the screen. Renee Zellweger, shut up, shut up. You had me at, hello, exactly. You guys remember, right? And you know, it just seems so good and everything's wonderful. The truth of the matter is, there are so many incorrect beliefs out there. And we think that a rom-com or, a, or even a, 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 a non-scripted, you know, reality TV show, you see this stuff and man, please just know that reality TV is far divorced from reality. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, my goodness. No, no, no. That's not reality. And so here's the truth of the matter that sometimes you and I have been fed some things that seem good or even sound good, but they're not actually accurate or right. As a matter of fact, Michael Todd mentions in his book, Relationship Goals, he says, you know, when I was young, I actually thought it sounded pretty biblical. He said, I used to think that this was the equation, that 50% of a man and 50% of a woman, a man who'd reached 50% of his potential and a woman who'd reached about 50% of their potential, they they came together and together they became that 100% person. And he said, I've found that that is just simply not the right math. It is incorrect. Instead, he said, I've found that one man plus one woman plus one God in the middle of that relationship equals one healthy marriage. And I'm here to tell you, I've shared this now three weeks in a row. As much as I love my wife, as much as she loves me, and as much good things that we have going together, I believe with all of my heart that if God had not been a part of our relationship from the very beginning, that I don't think that we would have made it. We've been married now for over 30 years, 30 years, uh, one month and a few days, all right? But the thing is, is that I'm glad for that, but I also recognize it not as an accomplishment, but much more as a blessing. I don't know, some of you have been married a few years, y'all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes God just dragged you through the difficult days. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, it wasn't because she wasn't beautiful and wonderful and perfect, you know, because she was, but you know, you were a mess, I was a mess, we were a mess together, and we needed God to bring us through. Now, the truth is, is that we're all human, no matter what. And two humans together can produce some serious fireworks. That's why God's got to be in the midst. That's the only way that it gets healthy. And, you know, I I wish I had good news. I wish I had the, the good news that if you just find Mr. Right and Mrs. Right and you put those two rights together, then everything will be all right. But it ain't true. It just ain't right. I, I didn't mean to do that, but I did that. Here's the truth. Dr. John Gottman has seen the way that couples fight. He's put people in a lab. He's put them under a a literal camera where he watches people and how they interact as a couple and how they fight. He's put hidden cameras so that they would kind of become part of the furniture and eventually people would just revert to their own way of relating. And here's what he found. He found that 69% of the things that are going on in a marriage that cause conflict are not things that get solved. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. The 69% of those conflicts that you're dealing with are things that you will always deal with. It's just the way that it is. God made my wife one way. He made me another. And when you put the two of those together, it can be a problem because she thinks that I absolutely operate this way. I think she absolutely operates that way. And we're off the same page. We speak a different language. And I'm here to tell you, I have three daughters. One of them is absolutely just like me, just like me. The two of us in a room are redundant. I mean, we are the same person. My other two, no, not so much. They're different than me. Why? Because God made them to be different. I don't need to change them to be like me. I need them to be the best that they can be because God's created them for a different purpose than he created me. So they're not wrong, I'm not right, we're just simply different. And this is where a lot of these problems come from and spring from. And I wish I could tell you that that got fixed whenever you got married. Because you married the right one, you chose correctly, and here you go, it's going to be great. But the problem is, is that whenever you are attracted to somebody who's very different than you, which is so true in my life, 
I'm telling you, like you guys have met my wife, you've seen me and you've seen my work, right? I mean, I'm just like, I won't ever shut up. Shelly, it's like she'll wave at you before she says hi, right? I mean, she is sweet. She's outgoing in her own way, but she is not going to be like, hey, I'm here to be a part of all of that craziness that's going on. She's kind of reserved. She's kind of back there, but she has always got herself together. I love that about her. Even when she was in eighth grade, she walked in the very first time and I was like, hmm, she's kind of put together a little nice, you know, and I, I won't go too far down that road because if my daughters are watching, they'll say, dad, you're making us sick. Um, here's the truth. I was attracted to her because I could tell she was different than me. And then we got married and all of the differences started to drive me crazy. And I promise you it was that way probably before we got married when it was her dealing with me. Because I, I tell people all the time I'm good in small doses. <laughs> here's the truth. We are different. God made us different. We don't apologize for it, but we have to manage that tension. And that brings me to the quote by Andy Stanley. I've shared with you a number of times. I continue to share it with you because it can change your world. It can change your work. It can change your relationship with your kids. It can change your relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it might be, your friends. Whenever you have a tension that constantly rises, Sometimes those are not problems to be solved. They are tensions to be managed. You will not solve it, but you will manage it. And the more that God is in that relationship, the easier that the oil is about managing those things. And it is so important and so vital. Now, I don't say, say all these things to make you feel negatively about a relationship. Relationships are wonderful. Single, married, friendships, children, parents, extended family with your sisters and brothers, all of that stuff. It's the thing that brings us life. It's the thing that keeps us from falling into that isolation and that dark hole of loneliness and despair. But it is not easy and we need to get beyond ourselves and bring God into the midst of things. I've shared this movie with you a couple of different times, but it is so apropos. It is so perfect. It applies so clearly. This one is called The Fight. Check it out. You come out here to talk about parenting styles? You know we have a sensitive daughter, Jace. She cries when you look at her sideways, never mind the tone of voice you use with her. Sorry I haven't read as many parenting books as you, but maybe she just needs to learn to cope. Not getting to read a book before bed is not the end of the world. You use the same tone of voice with me. Sometimes you cry when you don't get to read your Kindle at night. Me, I'm more of a Netflix guy, so it's really not stop. a- Stop. Okay, just stop it. Everything is a joke with you. I feel like we're not communicating anymore. Okay. This is about us. Oh, you, you communicate great. Yeah, with the way you undermine me, all the time in front of her, and in front of everyone for that matter. Our, our friends, our family. You cut my legs off at the knees and it's emasculating. You do that all on your own, Jace. We're supposed to be rubbing off on each other. We're supposed to be finding the good in one another. Yeah. Not just you affecting me. So what am I missing? I feel like... Like I'm the one doing all the bending. I know how much I've changed what? over the years. Are and you, you kidding me? You're, you're doing all the bending. You are. You used to. When we first got married, everything was just so... We were different. We were... We were kids. What are you not saying? I'm just saying... You never want to talk about us. Well, that's calling the kettle black, isn't it? Coming from the person that makes indirect comments about everything I say and do because you're so afraid of conflict? Why don't you just come out and say it? I'm not like you, and that's the problem, right? Well, surely I'm of some use to you. You're not just here for my benefit. I'm here for you, too. I'm just telling you that you could just- And I'm telling you I'm not your father. 
sorry. I love you. I love her daughter. I'm not going anywhere. But I'm not your dad. And I'm being punished for the way he treated you. And it's not fair. Right. So I guess I'm just some poster child for daddy issues. All in one sentence. Congratulations. I'm glad we got that settled. That's not what I said. You misunderstood me. I'm going to bed. We used to assume the good. We used to... We used to see the best in each other. Well, that one, I've seen it over and over again, and it still gets me because I think it's so true that sometimes what happens is after you've been together for a while, you can begin to see the worst rather than the best. It can happen with your kids. It can happen with your spouse. It can happen with a friend, and you no longer see the good, and you only see the negative, and it can drive you apart. I would just say also, very quickly, I'm kind of new to the empty nest thing. But I'm here to tell you, I can tell in a little bit of hindsight from a couple of years back when our kids left the home and it was just Shelly and I, we were pretty intentional about trying to stay on the same page and stay connected. We tried to do a lot of date nights. We even did some trips where we went by ourselves and it was just the two of us. But I'm here to tell you that that is a big struggle and a big problem area for a lot of couples. And then the moment that the kids leave, the moments that the kids leave the home, there's nothing in common anymore. And so it ends up costing people their marriage. I want to encourage you to do your very best to make it a priority to make sure that you are staying together and staying on the same page. Because I believe that the best thing that you can do for your kids is to be a good husband and a good wife for them and be a good mom and dad, if at all possible, keeping that family together and encouraging them in that way. So don't ever think you're robbing your kids of your time with them by spending time with your spouse. I'm telling you, it was difficult for us to make that adjustment. It's just now starting to feel like the norm, but it is the truth that it is a difficult thing, and so we've got to be very careful. I'll just say this. Here's our something to learn. I'm going to look back on this passage that Eric read, and I'm not kidding when I tell you I think I could preach a whole a whole entire sermon series on just Genesis chapter 3. There's just so much there. I'm about to go into some of the things that you may have even heard when Eric read that passage of Scripture. But I'm here to tell you, and I'm here to say to you, that ultimately, this is not easy for us to hear and see ourselves. It's not easy for us to look within and say, that is me. But this is something that sabotages most of our, uh, our lives, and it affects all of our relationships in so many ways. Let's begin with this something to learn. The Garden of Eden was God's original design for both humanity and his created world. It was untouched by sin, but sin entered, and it got complicated. Now, I'm here to tell you that it's complicated, ain't just a relationship status on Facebook, okay? I mean, you can see the picture and you know that even if Facebook knows that it's complicated enough to put it on the screen, like you know that that's true for you, it's true for me, it's true for all of us. Relationships can get complicated. And I'm here to just say something as a pastor. I'm here to tell you that whenever you invite sin into your relationships, you are intentionally bringing in stuff that's going to be complicated. And you might think to yourself that I've got the, the, the measure of it taken and it might get a little complicated, but it'll be okay because this is where it will end. I'm here to tell you that I constantly visit with people who thought they knew what was going to be the end result and they got something altogether different. 
Every time you bring sin into a new situation, especially when it deals with your relationships, you are bringing in complications that may never, ever go away. You better be wise about the things that you choose to bring into your relationships. It gets complicated, and the more sin, the more complications. So be very careful and be aware But Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 that we talked about these last few weeks, where we talked about how two encourage the other, and then we say the the cord of three strands not quickly broken, that's Christ in your relationship that gives you strength, that heals some of those hurts, that gives that added bit, uh, bit and boost of strength for you and for that spouse or that friend or that child or whoever it may be. Them in the relationship gives you strength as never before. But let's look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. I want us to read that passage, and then I want to talk a little bit about it. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, he said, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, we got all the kids gone, all right? So we can talk about people being naked out in the Garden of Eden real quick. Here's what we're going to talk about. The truth of the matter is, is that this is a beautiful picture of how God intended it. He intended for there to be an innocence and an intimacy between man and wife. Eventually, between Friends, although it's not this way, okay, clearly, but the truth of the matter is, is that there are so many things that we choose to bring into our lives that make us ashamed. The beautiful thing about Adam and Eve in the garden is that God was showing them how they want, how he wanted it to be. And do you notice here, like when Adam hears the noise, he's like, huh, I wonder who that could be walking through the garden in the cool of the day. No, no, no. That's not what's going on. What does he say? He heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He's like, oh, I hear something. That's God. He's coming. So what does that tell you? It tells you that God wants to be in the middle of a relationship. And the more that he is there, the more intimacy is available and the less shame that you have to deal with. You can have intimacy and understanding between you that you could not have if God is not there. But the moment that they invite sin into the world, invite sin into their relationship between Adam and Eve, what do they do? They run and they hide. They hide from God. And they keep themselves covered from themselves. Notice this. They realized they were naked and they hid themselves from their partner before God came. You guys with me? You understand that? So here's what's going on. Let's go deep on this. What is he saying? He's telling us in his scriptures that you and I will hide parts of ourselves not physical, but emotional parts of ourselves from the people that we are supposed to be revealing and relying on because we are ashamed. The more that God's love floods and fills us, the more we identify with him, the more that sin gets pushed to the fringes, the more free and open and honest and intimate we can be with people. I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about real, legitimate intimacy. And by the way, you can have sex and not be intimate. And you can also be intimate and not have sex. I'll just tell you, as a married man, the best is when they join. All right? That's the best. When it's both, when it's a sexual relationship, but it's also incredibly intimate. It's not just physical touch. It is emotional, spiritual connection, and it is a beautiful thing. I ain't ashamed because God created sex. Just I could preach a whole message on that. I actually have. You can go back and listen to that if you choose to. But here's what I would share with you. You go back and you see what happened. Eric read it, and I think some of you guys even laughed. Because you could hear, and I love the way Eric reads the scriptures sometimes, because he just puts so much into it. Eric, if you're watching, I love it. I'm not kidding at all. But he's like, he says these words, and you guys heard it, and y'all laughed at it. Let's see what he said here. He goes to this next slide, if you don't mind. 
And he says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? She said, the serpent, he deceived me. What's going on? Y'all know it. Y'all can see it. It's the blame game. It gets started, right? So let's go to this first blame game, the, the, the blame game, a first Adam blamed Eve, right? It's the woman's fault. I, I'm down with that. If that's, that's scripture. That's scripture. I'm good with it. End of message, right? No, no. Adam blamed Eve. But did you hear it? If you really listen close, the next one tells you that actually Adam blamed God a little bit. He blamed God. He's like, the woman that you gave me... <laughs> If you wouldn't have put her here, then there wouldn't have been a problem, Lord. But since you brought her into my life, it's kind of her fault with a tiny little bit of a splash of your fault and none of my fault. You and I are sitting here going, did you just let those words come out of your mouth in front of God? What are you thinking? Can I tell you something? He is thinking he's right because it makes sense in his head because this is the blame game. I only say it because I think it's true. This is important for you and I to get. He's only saying what he actually thinks. And isn't it interesting that God doesn't just hold the woman accountable. He holds the man accountable he holds the serpent accountable. They're all in it together, and they're all pointing fingers. Uh, it was them. No, God sees through it all. But did you notice that Eve also played the blame game? She's like, well, no, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. Don't you see? It was the serpent. Here's what Seth Godin says. Here's what Seth Godin says, and I, I shared this with you from Fearless. We allow our thoughts to go unchecked. A steady drip of lies cements the wrong patterns in our minds, and we build a Berlin Wall of bad beliefs. And then he goes on and he says, people don't believe what you tell them. They often believe, or they rarely believe what you show them. They often believe what their friends tell them, but they always believe what they tell themselves. Adam said it to God because he was telling himself, this wasn't me, this was Eve, and kind of God. Now, before you guys get on Adam too hard, tell me the last time that you encountered something that you didn't go, God, what are you doing to me? God, what are you thinking? God, I heard you wouldn't put anything on me that I couldn't handle. <laughs> Maybe we're on the wrong page because I don't agree with what you're doing. It still comes out. The only reason I know is because I've heard church members say this kind of thing. That's all. It's not a pastoral thing because I'm spiritual. Just want y'all to know. Now, we all play the blame game, don't we? Because here's the big idea, and you guys can say it aloud with me here in a minute. If I can blame you, I don't have to change me. If I can blame you, then I don't have to change me. And it is so much easier to blame you than it is to actually do the hard work of looking at me and going, you know what? That's my fault. That's my mistake. You're right. I'm wrong. If I can blame you, I don't have to change me. Would you guys say that with me real quick? If I can blame you, I don't have to change me. This is the sabotage that we have in our relationships. That whenever God is actually pulling us towards a better you and a better me, every time it feels uncomfortable or hurting, guess what we do? We say, no, 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 no. I'm done and it's your fault and now I'm out. I'm pulling back. I may even hit the eject button all the way. The new term is ghosting somebody. And I'm telling you people ghost the church all the time. You never know why they left and you never know where they are. They ghosted the church because they got upset about something and it's easier to blame somebody else than it is to change themselves. It happens all the time. I knew I wouldn't get an amen, but I'm going to give you one more chance, right? Amen. Isn't it true? Here's the truth. Man, it's, it's, it's hard for me. It's hard for you. But here is the deal. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 tells us what our natural tendency is going to be. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they're naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see that? You know what our covering is now? It's blame. Most of the time it's blame. It's not us accepting our responsibility. It's not us dealing with our own shortcomings. Instead, we say to ourselves, you know what, I'll cover it up and I'll blame somebody else. It's not my fault. I don't need to change me. This is the reason that it's bad. Now, here's how it sounds in most of our heads. Here's how it sounds in a normal conversation. If I usually feel a certain way towards my friend, then for me to be happy, I have to get them to change. In your head, you don't hear it maybe this clearly, but this is what you're telling yourself. In order for me to be happy, my spouse has to do these things different or else I can never truly be happy. It's not my fault that I yell at my kids because they're driving me crazy, y'all. Right? Why? Because they're kids, they're driving you crazy. Well, I get it, but they're not making you yell. You're choosing to do that. You're not choosing to be hurtful and harmful. You're choosing to do those things, not made to do those things. Is it easier? Yeah, it's easier when they're driving you crazy to get crazy. But it is a choice that you're making. Don't blame them for the things that are going on in your own heart and mind. This is the way that it sounds. If I act or react a certain way towards my child, my spouse, my parents make me crazy, y'all. I can't keep from saying certain things when I'm around my parents. I'm not saying that personally. Mom, dad, if y'all are watching, I'm saying this as an example. This is it. For me to be happy, I have to get them to change. How many of you know it's almost impossible to change yourself, much less change somebody else? And so here's the truth. If you actually let yourself tell yourself that, you're in for a world and a whole lifetime of disappointment, discouragement, frustration, aggravation. It is true. Even when I paid all the bills and made all the, you know, kind of paid for all the food and all those things for the kids, I couldn't always make them do what I wanted them to do. Why? Because they're people who have a free will, just like you and me. And we choose the wrong thing sometimes. Very quickly, I want to just say something. These are the principles that we're talking about. We should value God's purpose for our life over any person because people will let you down. People will inevitably let you down. And if all of your weight is relying on people, when they fall, guess who also falls? Even when they are your children and you love them with all of your heart, I'm here to tell you that they will let you down. They will disappoint you. They will do things that you wish they hadn't done. They will say things that hurt you in a way that is deeper than you can even put into words. It is true. I wish it weren't, but it is true. But they can also make your heart soar with joy in ways that can't even be put together in words. So here is the truth. Rely on God. He is the one. He is the only one who is stable. Rely on God. He is the one. And then we value progress in our relationships, not perfection. I just know that no matter how good it's going today, Shelly and I could be frustrated with each other. No matter how well I'm doing with my kids today, Shelly and I could be frustrated with our kids together against them, frustrated with them and what they're doing. But we, you know as well as I do, things were great when you left on Friday, but you come and the boss has got new directives on Monday. And man, you were grateful for that job on Friday when you got the paycheck. Now you got to earn the paycheck and it's a little harder to see the glory of God right now, right? This is how life is. It is the way of ups and downs in relationships, and we just embrace it. We value progress, not insist on perfection. All right, very quickly, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Almost everyone dreams of meeting the right person. Almost no one is working on being the right person. Isn't that true? Almost nobody's working on it. I want to be the right person. I want to do the right things. I always want to be the very best person person that I can be. And can I just tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lob a grenade in here just to make sure y'all are paying attention. This is part of our political problem right here. The reason that the left can't stand the right and the right can't stand the left, this is the problem. Nobody's trying to do what's right. They're just trying to point out how they're not as wrong as the other side. That's it. I'm telling you, that's true. You might not believe it. I knew I wouldn't get an amen on that, but that is true. That is true on both sides of the aisle. Nobody's working on being right. 
They're just working on telling how the other one is wrong. And you do that in a family, in a relationship situation, and it can blow up. It's the blame game in every way possible. But can I just tell you something real quick? Go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And then we, we already read that part where they sowed the fig leaves. They covered themselves. They covered themselves. This is so important. And this is, I, I absolutely, I get emotional because this is the first time that sin has entered into the world. And it is also the first time that God reminds us we can't do it on our own. They've sewed fig leaves together. They've hidden their nakedness. And God doesn't leave them there and go, that's good enough. He's teaching an incredible lesson to us in our relationships with what he does next. The Bible doesn't say that he took the fig leaves off or made them fall off with a wave of his magic hand or anything like that. We don't know exactly how it was. But here's what we do know. God didn't let them stay in these little fig leaf coverings. Instead, we don't know for sure, but it seems pretty clear that with animals moving around and Adam naming the animals and all the things that are going on, that God sacrificed one of the animals, turned their skins into coverings for Adam and Eve and said, those don't work. Use these instead. The reason I'm emotional about this is this very thing. In our lives and in all of our relationships, we're trying to do it ourselves. And everything that we do is not working. The only way that it makes it work is when God says, forget all that stuff that you've tried to do for yourself. Forget all the coverings that you've tried to make for yourself. I'm here to tell you that I've got something that will actually keep you clothed in righteousness it's the Son of God who will die for your sins. And now there is therefore no condemnation, no shame to those who are in Christ. I've done things in my life that I am ashamed of. I've done things that I wish I could go back and undo, but I cannot. But I will tell you this, I don't live with the weight of guilt on my shoulders anymore because every time it comes up, Romans 8 chapter one or verse 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. God stripped away those fig leaves and said, no, this will actually be enough to change you in my sight. And this is the truth. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. That's why Jesus had to come. And so when he came, he took away our self-covering and gave us something that said, here, these are handmade by God. Here you go, and now you are covered by my righteousness. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, it is absolutely awesome to know that that is what has happened for you and for me if we are in Christ. And by the way, if you are not in Christ, man, I wish I could tell you this is true for you, but it's not. But it's available for you if you will just humble your heart and say, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. May your grace find me and forgive me of all that I've done. And may I become your child. May you adopt me. And may, be, may I be made righteous in God's sight. And it's just that simple. If you do that, you become a Christian, a child of God, and he puts you on a brand new path. I don't have time to go on and on and on about some great things that are shared here. But let me just share this with you as I bring this to a close. Here's the big question that you and I have to share. In your relationships, are you building them up? Or are you blowing them up? The truth of the matter is, is that for most of us, we, we want to be building, but we can be blowing them up pretty easily with our words because we tend to blame, not to accept blame. We tend to say where you were wrong, Eve, not where I was wrong as Adam and vice versa. We even go so far as to blame God. God, if you wouldn't have let this happen, then I know I wouldn't have fallen. But since you did, it's kind of on you as well. What? You can't say that, but you believe it if you're not careful. And so you take those blame and you take them in a different direction. So here's the question. It's very hard to see, but you and I, we have to be very, very careful and cautious with our words because it is very easy for us to blow it up 
but not to build it up when it comes to all of our relationships. Now, don't miss this. I've shared this with you, but I want to make sure when God uses other people to call you towards something higher, we often reject it because it feels like disrespect or disdain. When, when somebody says to me, you know, I have something that I'd like to share with you. Maybe this is some constructive criticism. I walk away and I go, you know, why do they hate me? <laughs> I'm sure it's just me. None of y'all ever do that, right? When your, your spouse or your children point out something that you know that you shouldn't do, but you do too often, you go away and you go, why do they hate me? It's not that they hate you. It's that they want you to be the best you that you can be. But it always feels like they're after you because I'd rather blame than accept that I need to actually make a change. And so here's what we see. If you are a person who's trying to pull your kids towards the best that they can be, this is what you do. This next slide here. You've got to do it the very best, most gentle, most kind, most loving, most encouraging way that you possibly can. It's written on this next slide. Go ahead and click that next one if you don't mind. It's there and you can see. You've got to see people who need to be pulled towards better, including your kids. Make it the mission in life to do it the kindest, most encouraging way possible. And you may be saying, well, I don't know, Randy. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, it's not important. Well, don't miss this. Real quickly, I just want to share this with you. Don't miss this. Uh, it's it's going to be up here on the slide, and it, it's so important. You're going to be having a problem with one of the words, but here's this, this slide that I want you to make sure and see. Don't miss this. Number B, I believe it is. Slide. Here's what I would share with you as we do find that slide. It's just this. You're going to see the word feel in that slide. And when you see it, you're going to have this reaction like, oh, it's not all about what they feel. It's not all about what they feel. Almost everybody. Oh, can tell you what, if you would go to 33, if you would, please. It goes here. Number 33. Is that number 33? Go one back if you don't mind. There it is. Are you building it up, blowing it up? And how does it feel to the other people in your life? Just ask yourself this question. Ask yourself the question of that feel, that bothers me. And you know, because I should be able to say what's true. It doesn't matter how it makes them feel. It just matters if it's true. Well, I'm going to tell you something. People make decisions in their life not according to logic, but according to feeling. And then they find a way to justify it by logic. That is true. If you don't believe me, Ask yourself when the last time you saw a car commercial was, you know, it has this many foot pounds of torque and it's this many ga gas mileage, you know, like, nah, we don't do that. We go, oh, look at that car. Oh, look at it. And then we go, how many miles to the gallon? Oh, only 12. Still, it looks good, right? And then we go back and we say, well, what else can I say? And, you know, I deserve this. Like, we're trying to find logic to match what we've already felt and we've already made the decision on why we feel. That's why for some of us, we want to just be honest and tell people. But the truth is, is that they want to hear that you love them. It's so important and so vital. All right, very quickly. Here's how you apply this message. I, I, I share too much, but I'm going to keep, keep moving here. Two, I apply by slides. I tend to blame my blank for the way I choose to blank. I choose to blame my kids for the way I choose to react. I tend to blame my parents for the way I choose to act. I tend to blame my spouse for the way that I choose to spend. I mean, you could fill it in in any way. I don't know what it is, but it's important for you to grasp because if you're playing this blame game, you might be sabotaging something that you can't get back. So don't do that. Make the decision and say, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and try to blame you. I'm going to try to change me instead. Very quickly, let's just take this next slide here. Here's how you can do it. If you really want to get serious, call it out to them. Hey, babe, listen. I feel like sometimes I'm getting back at you when I overspend. I feel like I'm asserting that I'm capable of doing this on my own without you. But So if you see that happening, you can call me out on it. And then that way, maybe we'll have a few less money problems that seem to lead to more fights. Or you know what, son? 
I'm sorry that sometimes I choose to be really angry with you when you act the way that you're not supposed to and I'm short-tempered anyway. I just want you to know that you can call me out and you can say, Dad, it's important what you're saying, but I also want to know that you love me. Just say something like that and then I'll remember that it's more important for me to love you and encourage you than it is for me to beat you down and make you submit. I think it's important for us to grasp that there's a balance there, that you find both. And it's so important that we find it in our relationships. Now, here's where I'm ending this message as well as this theme here. The Bible talks about how we have a building and how our relationships are almost like a home to us. And you can take a look at a home and there are all different kinds of homes, but when you see a home like that, you might look at the front door and it might say something along the lines of condemned, right? I mean, this thing is not safe to be involved in anymore. It's condemned. Well, you know, there are some houses that have been condemned that have been brought back and become inhabitable again. Did you know that? It's true. They were condemned, but they were given the opportunity to be worked on, to be brought back to code, brought back to standard, replace the wiring, replace the plumbing, whatever it might be. And you make it habitable again when it was at one time condemned. For many of us, we've declared relationships in our past to be condemned beyond repair and beyond help. Maybe some of you have sisters or brothers that you have condemned, said it's impossible for us to be in the same room and be kind to each other. It's impossible for me to be in the presence of my parents. It's impossible for me to be in the presence of my son or daughter. They show me nothing but disrespect. Condemned, condemned, condemned. Now with apologies to to Miley Cyrus, I'm just going to say that the tools that you use show what you think of the things that you're working on. Like, for example, Miley Cyrus, the wrecking ball, right? Here's the truth. This is what you bring if you're condemned because it's over and done with. But if you're working on the project, if you're still into the idea of restoring it, you don't use that, you use that. You use saws and hammers and chisels and and levels and string and, and glue and nails and tacks and all these different things. You don't take a wrecking ball to something that is still able to be restored. In the Bible, it tells us that God is able to do all things. As we approach Easter, we see just a few weeks away where we celebrate that even death could not hold Jesus's power back. So I'm here to tell you that you may have declared something to be condemned and beyond repair. Here's what I would say to you. God's resurrection power is available to all of us for our sins, but also for all of our situations. We can walk out of the grave clothes that the world has tried to put on us. Maybe the grave clothes that we have chosen for ourselves And instead, we can move into the glorious light and power of Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us, and may you work in every relationship we have. Make us stronger. In your name we pray.